0: Second Timothy this evening, a couple of these thoughts so you talked about in a Men's Breakfast on sun, Saturday, and since none of you were there, I can teach it again. But in Second Timothy, I'm going to go a little bit further than what we talked about there, but um, some thoughts to help us with uh, kind of what's going on in, around us and the day that we live in. Second Timothy chapter 2. And uh, we'll start with verse number one. It says, "Thou, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou, therefore, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath called him to be a soldier." And uh, let's pause there and have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for our time together tonight and uh, for these that have come out. And uh, thank you for this portion of scripture. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to consider some things as uh, even in the next chapter, as uh, Paul was inspired to write uh, about the last days, those perilous times would come. And, and no doubt we're seeing on, on many fronts some perilous times on the horizon and Lord, I just pray you should help each and every one of us to be uh, uh, strong in the grace that you, you provide and, and, uh, and fight as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to understand some of these truths. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I love uh, dissecting First, and 2 Timothy, Second Timothy in particular. Uh, Timothy was a young, uh, young pastor that trained under Paul. And 2 Timothy in particular was a letter, first of all, of encouragement. Uh, definitely in chapter 1, he wanted to kind of help Timothy, encourage him in some areas, correct him in some areas. And then it was kind of, in a sense, uh, Paul's last will and testament. It was the last letter that Paul would write, and uh, as he was very much nearing the end of his life, the end of his ministry, uh, ready to be martyred for the faith. And um, uh, Timothy, uh, uh, for, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, he's going to address some things. If you notice when we started our text there in uh, chapter 2, he says, Thou therefore be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Um, <clears throat> Something has to take place whenever when you have the therefore we always joke about it we ask ourselves wherefore is the therefore therefore but we have to say what what preceded it that, that he's talking about uh, why he must be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and so as we back up all the way back to to, to first uh, sorry second Timothy chapter one and he gives his little introduction. Uh, As Paul would typically do and and uh, talks about, uh, you know, verse two to Timothy, my my beloved son, grace and mercy and peace. Um, uh, Verse number four, he says that I'm greatly desiring to see thee. Uh, Paul wanted so bad to see Timothy and encourage him being mindful of thy tears that I may be filled with joy. Uh, He says, he says, Paul or Timothy, I'm very much aware of the tears that you're experiencing. That tells me Timothy's going through a very difficult time at this point, uh, and he's he's uh, expressing it in tears, and, and he says that I may be filled with joy. Why would that fill him with joy? To be there by his side. Uh, as a mentor and as a leader, one you've invested into and uh, one you've loved and labored to help encourage and to train and to grow, it's a very discouraging thing to know that they're discouraged. That they're experiencing tears. They're going through a heartache. So he says, if I could just be with you, that would, that would increase my joy because I know I could help you. And, um, and so, he, so he says this. He's greatly desiring Verse 5. And he says, when I call the remembrance, the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and in thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded in thee also, uh, wherefore... I put thee to remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God that is in thee and, and uh, by the putting out of hands. Uh, for God has not given to us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of sound mind. So he says, Timothy, remember some things. Remember the faith that's been passed on to you. And uh, Not only that, remember uh, uh, remember what's been committed to you by the laying out of hands. Uh, uh, your spiritual gifts and your ordination and, and how God is using you and how God's going to use you. And then he says in verse 7, God has not given us a spirit of fear. So when you combine this thought of he has, he's stuck in these tears and he's encouraging him a spirit of fear does not come from God then uh, then you start putting these things together you're you're saying Timothy is really timid he's really having some issues he's crying he's fearful and he has forgotten really his the vision of what he why he's supposed to be doing what he's doing so he's saying remember where you've come from remember what's going on remember all these things and then verse number eight be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Now, this is interesting. There's a challenge here. Be not thou therefore, remember the therefore, the previous things. He was timid, he was fearful. So, Paul's now connecting this this timidity and this fear to potentially him being ashamed of the gospel. Him mean, being ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. He says, then, nor of me as prisoner. Now, what's interesting is what we can surmise from some of Paul's writings that there were some believers that were not on board with Paul. Okay, uh, Philippians talks about that. Some some preach the gospel for the sole purpose to add to Paul's bonds. What a what a reason to get into going to go into the ministry. <laughs> this will show him, right? I never can really wrap my mind around that. I don't know what that practically lo- like, what that actually looked like. But they're preaching out of contention to add to Paul's bonds, and yet Paul had this wonderful attitude. I'm just glad preaching is going on. I'm glad the gospel is being preached. Um, he does name some people, and he names them in First Timothy, names some people in Second Timothy, um, uh, and uh, uh, that 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 have really given him a hard time. Now, now the reason I bring all that up is because. Uh, many times when there is maybe a, a successful ministry or someone's really serving the Lord with everything they've got and God is, uh, God is working, uh, whether it be envy that comes in, jealousy, or whether it be you know, whatever it is, uh, slander, people love to attack those kinds of things and it becomes very easy to kind of disassociate. Well, you know, depending on who you're around, you might not bring up certain names. Right? You might not bring up Paul because that, that, there would be some implications with that. You know, I think about Charles Spurgeon. We look at him today. He's got the title. Uh, in fact, his son had, had, mentioned, had said something along the lines that he'll be forever known as the Prince of Preachers. And even to this day that we look at Charles Spurgeon as the Prince of Preachers, even to this day, the most published preacher that ever lived. Um, the, uh, uh, every sermon, uh, thousands would be sold every Sunday, the written copy of the sermon uh, the following week after he would preach. And uh, uh, he uh, published, mag- uh, published uh, 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 Christian newspapers, and he uh, oversaw an orphanage, and he oversaw a preacher school. I mean, very, very much involved, and he made a huge impact in a very short life, died in his 50s. And, um, and yet, what's interesting about Charles Spurgeon is all the other clergymen hated him. They would write slanderous articles. Uh, one preacher even had written in an article. And, and back then, uh, you know, there wasn't this huge separation. I mean, uh, if it was happening in a church, that's local news. And it would make the newspapers, right? They, it was not uncommon to, to, to cycle through some of the churches and actually publish in the newspaper that Sunday's sermon, you know, and things like that. But... Um, but this guy writes this article for the whole community to see, and he said, I, doubt the, I highly doubt the validity of Charles Spurgeon's conversion. This guy was saying, I don't think Spurgeon's even saved. I mean, people were against Spurgeon, and uh, uh, yet God greatly was using Spurgeon. And in fact, at the time, he had the largest church in the world. Uh, I believe it was estimated about 10,000 people. He had about five services on Sundays. And then uh, on, on, on months that had five Sundays, he would ask all, all the members to stay home on the fifth Sundays so he can, they can have all new people where he'd preach the gospel. Because they'd turn away people. It, it was so packed. And uh, he was such a popular preacher. And, uh, and he wasn't like today's popular preacher where it's full of compromise. You read the content that he preached. I mean, he preached the Bible and he preached solid messages. And And, uh, what I'm saying is this this is not something, uh, new, and this is not something that should be even considered strange if you're sold out to God and God's doing something. And so what happened is you start losing some of that timidity or some of that confidence. You start getting a little timid, and fear's coming in, and, and, and Paul's pointing out some things. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Don't be ashamed of me, his prisoner. I don't want to be associated with Paul. Paul's in prison. What if they come after me next? That's what the disciples did after Jesus was crucified, right? They locked themselves in that upper room, and here's what the Bible says: for fear of the Jews, they were afraid they're going to come after them next. So there was a uh, there was a natural disassociation. Remember Peter? I don't know him. I'm not one of the disciples. I'm not one of the followers, right? He denied the Lord. So he's challenging Timothy with this: his association with the Lord and his testimony, his association with him. But be thou partaker of the afflictions. Of the gospel according to the power of God. That is such a packed statement. Be a partaker of the affliction of the gospel. How is he going to do this? According to the power of God. It's not your power, Timothy. It's the power of God. You know what he's saying? Welcome it. Don't be ashamed of the testament of our Lord. Don't be ashamed of Paul the prisoner. If affliction is going to come, embrace it with the power of God. That's like so far removed from anything we can imagine today in 21st century Christianity. American Christianity. But he says, embrace it with the, with the, with the power of God. And then he goes on, verse 9, "...who saved us and called us with holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel." whereunto I'm appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. Now, I read all those because that's all one sentence. So I wanted to kind of finish the sentence off. But he's saying, and here's your motivation, Paul. Christ died for you. Here's uh, Timothy, rather. Here's your motivation. Here's, you know, we can suffer a little bit. Look at how he suffered for us. He has called us with a holy calling uh, for his purpose. This is all part of God's plan, what he's telling him. Now, Now remember, we're trying to answer the therefore of chapter 2, before we get into chapter 2. And so he's saying these things. I know you're discouraged, you're crying. I know you're discouraged, you're fearful. I know you're discouraged, you're ashamed. Don't be. In fact, get some courage and get some, you know, through the power of God. And then uh, verse number 12. For the which cause I also suffer these things, and nevertheless I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I committed unto him against that day. We just sung that. Hold fast the form of sound words. So, he said, so now he's going to give him some practical instruction on how he's going to make, take this stand. Hold fast sound words. Speak the truth. Uh, uh, which thou hast heard of me. In faith, and love which is in Jesus Christ. So he says, I want you to do this. I want you to preach the truth in love. I want you to speak these sound words through the love that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 14. The good thing which is committed unto me keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. This thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me. Ah, now we're getting a little insight of what's going on with Paul. Why is Timothy ashamed of Paul and his bonds? Paul said this. All his ministry in Asia... I don't think he's exaggerating. I don't think Paul would do that. I don't think think he'd be inspired of the Holy Spirit to speak in hyperbole. He says this, all that are in Asia have turned away from me. Now, if you look at the journeys of Paul, if you got out on a Bible map and find out, okay, where in Asia did Paul go? He had some ministry in Asia. And he says, all those places that I've been, they've all turned away from me. So it's not just some other Christians that heard about Paul and don't like him. He invested personally in these people. And then whatever fruit they have, whatever it is, they've turned away from Paul. And then it says, of whom, he's going to name a couple, are phygellus and Hermogenes. He specifically names a couple of people that have turned from him. Then he, then he, then he mentions another guy, Lord give mercy unto the house of Anesiphorus. For he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Here's a great example. He says, don't be like these other two and don't be like those in Asia. Be like Anesiphorus. What did he do? He refreshed him. In fact, uh, in fact, goes on. It says, But when he was in Rome, he sought me out diligently and found me. Lord, grant him that he may find mercy in the Lord in that day. And in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, uh, thou knowest very well. So I just want to wrap up chapter 1. He's talking about Timothy in his tears. He's, he's crying. Uh, some, some commentators have, have, have speculated that at this point, Paul, or Timothy was debating even quitting the ministry. Some say he might have even left the ministry at this point. He was so discouraged and so, so, so heartbroken. And, and, uh, and so he says, uh, he says, remember your calling. Remember where you came from, that unfeigned faith that was played out for you by your mother and your grandmother, and then the calling of the laying on of hands and your, your commission in the gospel, how that God had, had saved you. Don't be ashamed of, of the testament of our Lord. Don't be ashamed of me. And, uh, and, but, but, but continue. Embrace these afflictions by the power of God. Why? Because He saved us. He called us with His holy calling. He has a plan. He has a purpose. And His purpose was established before the world even began. And he's laying all this stuff out, and he says, he says, I want to tell you about my commitment. I'm here in bonds, and I'm a, and, and I'm I'm suffering for Lord Jesus Christ. But there's something I know very well. I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I've committed unto Him against that day. And 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 he he says this. I'm in the Lord's hands, and I'm happy with that. That's where I want to be. That's where I am settled. I'm established. And he said and he said so so this uh, um. So he says, I want you to take this same concept. I want you to run with this. I want you to, to own this. And he gives some examples. Don't be, don't be like those in Asia who've departed and, and are straying and they're ashamed. Be like in nest Go and be an encouragement. Go search some people out who are suffering affliction. Encourage them along. And, uh, and he says, but with all of this going on, here's what you're going to need. Chapter 2, thou therefore, with all that in mind... Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, how could... That sounds like a command statement, doesn't it? Be strong in the grace. How could I get more grace? Grace is a gift, right? How do you earn grace? You can't earn grace. Otherwise, it's not grace. Um, I love the verse uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and, 8 and 9, really. Together. They need to go together. And we quote it all the time when we talk about grace, right? Um, And it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There are three ways in those verses that call salvation a gift. Grace, unearned. Gift, means gift. And then not of works. Well, that's how you get a gift. It's not a gift if you have to work for it. So there's kind of three ways of basically saying the same thing. It's it's a, it's a gift, it's a gift, it's a gift. So so now he's saying this, be strong in this gift. Be strong in the grace. How do I get stronger in in this thing that's kind of given to me? Well, it all goes back to this whole mindset that we've been talking about. Uh, embracing the affliction and and and, and not God's not giving a spirit of fear. What he's saying is this, rest in it. Get to the point where you understand the grace of God is all you need. That grace. To increase. That grace needs to grow. If we go to uh Second Corinthians chapter number eight, it talks about the grace of giving. And he and he challenges the church, I want you to grow in this grace. And he says, As you abound in faith, in utterance, in understanding, see that you abound in this grace also. See, grace can grow. And the more you rest in the grace and the more you exercise in this grace, the grace will grow. And then chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, uh, he goes on and he talks about this, this sacrificial giving. And, and it talks about how um, um, bountiful, bountiful reaping. And uh, let me go ahead and just read it. <laughs> I'm like summarizing it all for you. In, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he says this. But I say, he that sows sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He which sows bountifully shall reap also bountifully. That's verse 6. Every man according to his purpose in his heart, so let him give. Now, the conduct here is giving, but verse number 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. You know, he's saying all these areas of grace, the grace of God working in your life, growing. As I mentioned in chapter 8, where he says... Uh, Abounding in uh, chapter 8, verse 7, Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith, in utterance, in knowledge, and in diligence, and in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. Each of these areas are graces of God. And as we step into them, we can get stronger in them. As we step out by faith uh, into the grace of giving, we step out by faith into the grace of, yes, love. Love is a grace. As we step out uh, by faith into these graces, God increases the grace. To the point where he says uh, that you will abound unto every good work. In other words, God's going to give you everything you need to go forward in those things. We should be strong in the grace of Jesus Christ. Why? Because there's a battle. There's a tendency to get fearful. There's a tendency to get discouraged and to cry and to throw up your hands and give up. Uh, There's a tendency to, to see with the physical eyes, as a lot of Christians are falling into right now. And they're seeing what's going on around the world. They're seeing what's going on in our own country. They're looking at all these things. And what are we doing? We're looking with the physical eyes. And so we're getting discouraged. God did not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. And, and, and that tends to lead to, to being ashamed. And by the way, the more antagonistic the world's going to get against Christianity, the more tempted we'll be to be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ. And of preachers that will be in bonds. That will be in bonds. I'll tell you one thing in the days to come. Uh, prison ministries is going to just take off. and we ought not to be ashamed. So he says this. How are we going to do that? Be strong in the Lord. Uh, in, the, in the grace, rather. Be strong in the grace. Secondly, verse 2. Make sure we pass it on. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commitment that of faithful men, we should be able to teach others also. You know, that's why we do our CIA program. That's why, excuse me, we do what we do. We're looking at the next generation. We're saying, are we passing on what's been passed on to us? The things that we've learned. Now, now, Paul is laying out here four spiritual generations. Paul teaches Timothy, the things that thou, Timothy, has heard of me, Paul, among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men. As, as a young pastor, he used to look for faithful men within the church who are able then to take that and teach others also. You see, now our church is a is a fairly small church, and so uh, uh, I'm not stretched too thin to where I. I... I'm um, not ministering to, to folks and things. And, uh, but as we grow, the only way everyone is going to get ministered to properly is finding who are the faithful ones, who are the ones that are kind of uh, rising above the rest, who have this strong commitment to the Lord. And, and they will start investing in others and start multiplying ourselves in that life. But, uh, but, it, but it works that way. But, but here's the idea. What am I going to leave behind? What am I passing on when I'm gone? What are we given a, the right blueprint? Are we given a good foundation uh, for 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 the young kids? <laughs> I've said it uh, several times in our Sunday night when we have all the kids in with us, and uh, and I uh, you know I, I do pray this way. I say, Lord, which one of these young ones might be the next pastor? And honestly, I'm looking for that one of these one of these kids. God's going to grab a hold of their heart, and uh, and that, they're going to get passionate for God. And they're going to get uh, some convictions. And they're going to, you know, and, and, and even as, as Paul said to Timothy, he said this was the plan uh, in Christ Jesus before the world began. But he said, the, the idea is this, be strong in the grace, pass it on. Verse number three, thou therefore. So, 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 so uh, we have another therefore here. And so what, what, well, let's look at just from the last therefore to this therefore. Be strong in the grace. Pass on uh, in discipleship. And, be, and in order to do those, or, or because it's going to be difficult, because we need strength, he says this endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Endure hardness. You know, a soldier, a warrior, a fighter, he understands the gravity of his commitment. He goes in there to defend, he goes in there to fight. And he goes in there willing to lay down his life for those he loves. You see, uh, um, uh, one person said, it's not about a hatred for those that are in front of me. It's about a love for those who are behind me. And that's why we fight. That's why we go forward. And, uh, and so he says this, endure hardness. I'm going to tell you something. It's not easy being a soldier. There are some days you want to quit. I don't know what it is, but every time you're, uh, you're in the field and you're digging a, uh, a foxhole, it's raining. <laughs> and, and I don't know if you've ever tried to lay perfectly still in the prone position while it's raining and all that water's going down your back and you can't move and you're sitting there. What are you doing? You're enduring enduring hardness because if you move, you are give to your give away your position. The enemy's going to see you. If you move, uh, you know you're you're, you're you're you're. So what are you going to do? You you say, well, it doesn't seem that hard. Have you tried it? Have you tried not not moving when that water's going down your back? Have you tried not moving when you have that itch? And and by the way, I don't know when you have to be perfectly still, you get an itch right here, right on your cheek, <laughs> and you want to scratch it, right? I'm talking about discipline. A soldier knows he's gonna he might lay down his life for his cause. Um, heard the story. Um, there's a uh, there's a church in the Midwest. They had a uh, they had a home for boys and girls, uh, troubled troubled young people. and They'd go and stay in this home, and um, and uh, get discipleship and, uh, and and try to work through some issues and problems. And there was one man on staff, there, an older man, and he would be often seen down there at the at the the home where these kids would be at. He would walk up and down those halls, and he'd stand in the, in the boys' dorms. He would he would step into the room sometimes, open the door, and he would just be praying over those children, room to room, and, and the girls, he would just walk in, up and down the halls, and he would maybe put his hand on the door, and he'd be praying for these young people, and, and he would many times do this the whole night, and uh, and he'd be seen sometimes, he might lean against a, a corner somewhere, and just, just kind of get a couple minutes of uh, shut eye, and then he'd get back up, and he'd start praying again, and um, well, he had, uh, he's with the Lord now, but he had an, uh, several heart attacks, and uh, you know, had some failing health, and And his pastor said he believes because he gave so much into those young people. uh, Praying for their souls and praying for their hearts for the Lord and and, uh, really giving of himself. And he said that man understands the commitment of a soldier. He sacrificed. He gave of himself and even died serving the Lord and serving these young people. So he says endure hardness. What kind of hardness? Well, uh, I like verse 8 of the previous chapter where he says... Be a partaker of the affliction. Endure it. Uh, Embrace it. It's going to come. And how are we going to do that? We have to endure hardness as a good soldier. Verse number four uh, gives a great example of what that looks like. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. talked about this a little bit at our uh, our men's breakfast on Saturday. But... um, uh, You know, the worst soldiers, when I was in Iraq, the worst soldiers that we had, and it wasn't really a a matter of how skilled they were or a matter of how how, uh, able they were, the worst soldiers were the ones that had problems going on back home. Uh, Dealing with difficulties uh, uh, back home. I remember one soldier, uh, his wife was uh, about to give birth, and he just was not able to get home for it. And he was so frustrated and he was so upset. I remember him getting up in the face of our, of our platoon sergeant and, uh, this E4 yelling at this E7 uh, about how he needs to get home. And, I mean, it got ugly. And, um, and, uh, but you know what? That guy was worthless. I can't encounter him for anything. Why? Because he's stressed about this. Others were having marital problems back home and they were stressed about that and they were distracted as a result. And, well, no man at war have entangled themselves with the affairs of this life. Why they may please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. You say, well, how does that relate? How does that equate? God, our captain, he has called us to be soldiers of Jesus Christ. And how do we get entangled with the affairs of this world? Uh, uh, well, just like, um, um, what was the guy's name? Uh, uh, Demas, Paul said, had forsaken me having loved this present world. They were out there serving God, and they were out there uh, uh, on a missions trip, uh, serving the Lord. And what happened? He said, you know, that's enough. I love this world too much. I love the things of this world. I can't sacrifice like this. I can't endure afflictions. I can't be a soldier. I can't separate myself. I I don't see the sacrifice of Christ worthy enough for me to sacrifice for Him. So we look at the things around us, and we get distracted. We think, well, uh, you know, here's what the world does. We live for the weekend. I do my Monday through Friday, so I can have my two days off and party and enjoy myself. And I've earned it. And uh, we kind of look at it that way. And there's nothing wrong with having fun. There's nothing wrong with enjoying things. But the problem is when they get out of bounds, uh, out of ba- uh, out of balance, rather. And uh, and so so here's what it says: If you are a soldier, by the way, a soldier needs to have some downtime. A soldier needs to take some leave from time to time. Enjoy his family and those kinds of things. But when you're in the battle, when you are a soldier and you've been commissioned by your commander, your one task is to please him who has called you to be a soldier. And so how do we endure this hardness? We get single minded as much as possible. We simplify. We say what are the things that are getting me off track and keep me from this mission, from this plan, and what are the things that I need to be on track with? The reason I bring all this up is because, uh, uh, um, you know, as we're looking around, and I think it's very easy to fall into the heart of Timothy here, uh, being timid and fearful and, and even, even uh, crying a bit and shedding some tears as we, as we consider what's going on in our world. I think about what, what kind of a world is my son uh, going to one day be a leader in? What kind of a world are my children, what kind of a world are my future grandchildren going to grow up in if the Lord tarries? You know, we need to teach them to endure hardness. We need to teach them what it is to have the commitment uh, uh, to our Lord. America has been so far removed from persecution uh, since its inception that, that, that we, we really have a hard time wrapping our minds around this. But I want to say this, that persecution is not, um, it's not a, uh, a stranger to Christianity, and it never has been. In every generation, there have been persecuted Christians. In fact, this last century, there have been more martyrs, Christian martyrs, than there have, uh, uh, what I've heard, uh, all, the, all the previous uh, centuries uh, building up to it. We think, no... You know, you think back at uh, some of those early days when they were having to fight the beasts in, in, in the Colosseum or, you know, things like that. And, um, and the reality is, and you think of uh, groups like ISIS and these, these terrorist organizations, uh, Christians are losing their heads all the time. But it's so far removed from us. We think we're experiencing real persecution because freedom of speech is being under attack. Now, that is a measure of persecution. And if that's persecution we're going to face, then let's embrace it and be strong in the grace. But um, what I'm saying is, we need to get some. We need to start building ourselves up as soldiers. Enough of this playing games with our Christianity. You know, uh, it's it's kind of fascinating when you look at church history into the the second century, second century into the third century. There uh, there was some time of peace and Christianity was flourishing, and uh, and uh, and they were even building big buildings and things. and, and then some persecution came. And many of those Christians and many of those churches fled, and even renounced the faith. Some of those, many of those churches kept meeting, and they kept serving the Lord. And uh, many would meet in secret. They, they did different things. But uh, when the when the persecution subsided and it was okay to have public meetings again, a lot of those Christians that had turned their back on the faith wanted to come back into the fellowship. Wanted to come back into those congregations. Some of the congregations did not allow them to come back. No, you denied the Lord Jesus Christ. Others allowed them to come back, but they had their own separate seating. And they were never given full privileges of the, of the other members. And I'm not saying any of those are the right answers, but what I'm saying is these guys were willing to die and they took a stand. And you bet that changed their opinion of those who were not willing to take a stand. And we're coming into a day and age where I think there will be some churches that were willing to compromise whatever, whatever the government says. And they will still be functioning while other churches will be underground. I'm just saying the day's coming. Uh, there's going to be persecution. There, there were several preachers that got arrested this last year in Canada. And Canada, by the way, is in, is in the U.S.'s shadow of a free country. They technically have freedom of speech. Technically. Now, it's not a it's not a benchmark like dark. but... They're supposed to have freedom of speech there. And yet, they're getting arrested. All I'm saying is these things are coming, and so how are we, how, how are we going to combat it? And how are we going to teach our children? How are we going to, uh, to do this thing right? Do we just, do we just uh, hunker down and just wait for the rapture? Do we, you know uh, uh, Jesus left his disciples with some instructions when he said, um, said occupy till I come. What happens militarily when, when, when you're occupying a place? Anybody? What does it mean to occupy a place? Yeah, you took it over and you're running the thing. Occupy doesn't mean you've uh, you've you've come inside and locked the doors. <laughs> you know, until uh, until what a month ago, we were occupying Afghanistan. We had full control
1: of the airport. We had
0: full control of uh, of the capital. You see? That's what. And so as Christians, we're not to run, we're not to to, you know, if you look at the the spiritual armor, Ephesians chapter six, there's nothing covering the back. Because because you're supposed to go towards the battle. You're supposed to you're supposed to embrace the fight. And so what do we do? First thing, verse one, be strong in the grace of Jesus Christ. We need to grow in the grace. We need to go in the direction of the fear. We need to go in the direction that God will have us to go and His, great, he, his grace will meet us there. Secondly, we must pass it on. Who are you discipling? Who are you passing truths on to? Uh, and then thirdly, we need to understand the commitment of a soldier. What does it mean? We, it may require kind of taking account of our lives as stewards and say, there might be some areas I need to simplify and get back on track to what, to what it is that God has called me to do uh, to be a, if i 'm going to be a soldier of Jesus Christ, so i 'm not distracted and taken aside with the cares of this world. Uh, I want to be effective for my commander and uh we 'll go and just stop there, but uh just some thoughts on as we consider you know how do we deal with this stuff? how do we you know weigh it out well we 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 look at what God has given us in the scriptures, and it 's really not too far off of what Timothy was facing, and I think uh, uh God's grace will be there for uh, uh, to combat what we need, and so while we have a word of prayer, and uh, and I would encourage you guys, uh, we're having a survival night, a lot of cool um, uh, stations that the kids are going through to be an encouragement. I'm going to try to shoot uh, some of the twins with uh, the airsoft guns, and uh, it's going to be interesting out there. But anyways, uh, let's, let's have a word of prayer and we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank You.